I have found out beat news in depth for you. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. We begin tonight by introducing you to Napa's new PFLAG organization. The former North Bay chapter dissolved last spring, but Rose Marie Vertulo has stepped up along with a new board to revive this very important community resource, and she's here with her colleagues to tell us all about this new organization. And earlier this month on Outbeat News, we told you about an incident at Mississippi State University when members of the Old Miss football team disrupted the theater department's performance of the Laramie Project by hurling gay slurs and derogatory comments at the actors during the performance. The university's response was mild at best. And with us tonight for this month's Outbeat Youth segment to talk more about this is Shane Winmeyer, the executive director of Campus Pride. All of this and much more is coming up right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, October 27th, 2013. I have found Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. Planning to hand out Jelly Belly Beans this Halloween? Well, you might be putting money into the pocket of one of the men who's trying to take away rights of trans and non-gender conforming expressive students. Herman Rowland Sr., the chair of the Fairfield, California-based Jelly Belly Candy Company, is a major contributor to the Privacy for All Students initiative campaign led by Prop 8 strategist Frank Schubert, who is now the political director for the National Organization for Marriage. Just as he did with the misrepresentations and scare tactics of the Prop 8 campaign, Schubert is trying to collect enough signatures to put an initiative on the 2014 ballot to repeal the historic School Success and Opportunity Act, AB 1266, authored by out Assemblymember Tom Amiano. The transgender student law, which requires schools to provide equal access to restrooms, locker rooms, and other facilities for transgender students, goes into effect January 1st, unless the measure qualifies which would put the law on hold. Schubert said, quote, Our challenge is to get on the ballot. If we do, I don't think we'll have a great deal of difficulty winning the campaign. He added, To say that we need to open up our school showers and bathrooms just doesn't make sense. But a legislative staffer who also does private transgender consulting says, The common fear that a boy could be showering with girls, or vice versa, is outdated. Public schools generally haven't had open showers for many years, she says. They can't afford the water, the towels, or the janitorial service. And most important, they don't want to be responsible for watching all of the naked minors and worrying about those accusations of teacher molestation. Equality California's Executive Director John O'Connor put out a request to all supporters. He said, We're asking you to make a promise to support all students and decline to sign any action from opponents who are trying to take a stand in the way of student success and even their ability to graduate from high school. Please consider sharing this information with family and friends, letting them know that you care about this issue, you care about students in our community, and ask them to stand alongside you in support of all students. And here locally, Know Your Rights, Social Security, and the LGBT Community, a panel discussion and breakfast will take place on Thursday, October 31st from 8 a.m. until 10 a.m. at the Finley Community Center, 2060 West College Avenue in Santa Rosa. Seniors can learn how they might be eligible for additional monthly income in light of the June U.S. Supreme Court Windsor decision. This event is being presented by the National Committee to Preserve Social Security and Medicare Foundation 
in partnership with the Spectrum LGBT Center and the Sonoma County Human Services Department Adult and Aging Services Division. In light of the historic Windsor decision handed down by the Supreme Court on June 26th of this year, hundreds of federal benefits are now available to same-sex married couples. Social Security benefits formerly reserved for heterosexual married couples and their children will now be available to same-sex married couples. This is a very significant development, which will have a very positive financial impact on the elder LGBT community. As the Social Security Administration makes this transition, there is an urgent need for public education for stakeholders so they can understand the benefits that are now available to them and apply for them without delay. These benefits will have a positive financial impact on same-sex spouses, widows, and children of LGBT parents. This event will be moderated by Paula Pilecki, Executive Director of the Spectrum LGBT Center. Remarks will also be made by U.S. Congressman Mike Thompson, Sonoma County Supervisor Shirley Zane, and Carol L. Estes, Board Chair of the National Committee to Preserve Social Security and Medicare. To learn more about this event, go to the Spectrum website at spectrumlgbtcenter.org. Now here's your calendar of events for the coming week. On Monday, October 28th, from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., the Marin AIDS Project will host a men's mixer at the Four Point Sheridan, 1010 Northgate Drive in San Rafael. Also on Monday at 7 p.m., the PFLAG Sonoma County Group will meet at the Knox Presbyterian Church, 1650 West 3rd Street in Santa Rosa. And on Tuesday, October 29th, from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., the Transgender North Bay Group will meet at the Positive Images Center, 312 Chin Street. And on Thursday, October 31st, from 7 to 10 p.m., Dr. Evil's House of Horrors at Camp Outback, 16101 Neely Road in Guerneville, will take place. The admission is $15 and benefits local nonprofit organizations. For more information about local LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. And if you have news or an event you'd like to share with our listeners, be sure to tell us about it by going to our own website at OutBeatNews.com. You can also find links to follow us all week long on Facebook and Twitter for the latest LGBT news and information from here in the North Bay and beyond. For Gary Carnavelli, I'm Greg Moralia. Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. Next month, Facing History and Ourselves, a local organization here in the Bay Area, is hosting a special screening of the new documentary, Matt Shepard is a Friend of Mine, which had its world premiere right here in Mill Valley earlier this month. And here to tell us more about this amazing documentary is the director of Facing History and Ourselves, Jack Weinstein. Jack, welcome to Outbeat Radio. Thanks very much. Well, before we get to the documentary, tell us a little bit about Facing History and Ourselves. We are a an educational organization, a nonprofit uh, group that was founded in the middle 1970s in Brookline, Massachusetts. And the mission of the organization really has to do with brokering hard conversations in classrooms around issues of identity, membership in community, um, what people can learn from very hard history, and looking at positive participation in society. Mm. And you have an office here in the Bay Area now, right? We do. Our office is in Hayward, California. It's our one of uh, uh, eight regional offices uh, of the organization in the United States. We also have an office in Toronto and one in London, oh, wow. uh, from which our international work springs. Excellent, excellent. And you've got a really exciting event coming up next month. You're hosting a screening of Matt Shepard as a friend of mine. Tell us about that. We are. We were um, 
opportunity some years ago to um, get a uh, an amazing kind of support from the Allstate Foundation in support of community conversations, and they're conducted out of several of our offices. These are community education events. They complement the work we do in schools, um, allow us to build in some ways classrooms in a much larger um, sort of setting uh, for the for the larger community rather than simply for schools or, or students in high schools. Mm-hmm. And the the Allstate Foundation events are called Community Conversations. We've been able to broker in pretty amazing films, scholars, uh, witnesses to history, etc., over a fairly long period, and this is one of those events. Um, the film is, um, is a very important one for so many reasons, uh, but uh, one of the reasons is that uh, Matthew Shepard's voice and um, a, a look at at who he was from from the point of view of his friends, uh, rather than looking back at um, a history uh, from a sociological point of view or from purely a legal perspective, is a really important addition to you know, how people can think about the legacies of that terrible event. Mm-hmm. And so this event is going to take place when? This is on November 12th at the Sundance Kabuki Theater in San Francisco. Uh, 1881 Post Street, I believe, is the address. Uh, it is a free community event, but registration is required at facinghistory.org. And the showing will uh, be, the event will be from 7 to 9. And in the aftermath of the, of the screening, um, the filmmakers, Liam McNiff and, and uh, Michelle Josue, will be with us for a short conversation. Great. And uh, it'll be terrific. Fantastic. That's a great opportunity because Michelle was one of Matt's closest friends. Right. So it's really right. nice to be able to, to meet her uh, in person. And the film is so powerful. Uh, I've seen it a couple of times now, and it really brings Matt to life much more than the images that have been all over the Internet. Um, you've seen it. What struck you in the film? Well, I think the perspective of the filmmakers is really important. Uh, this is a film that's told from the point of view of, of contemporaries of Matt's. Uh, it's not a film that was done by scholars or uh, the legal community or um, an advocacy group looking back in order to you know, produce um, an outcome uh, that is, is larger than looking at uh, Matt's life and at the impact of the friendship you know, people had with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get to know Matt as a person through this film. And I think that adds a, a very important dimension to the way people will look back um, not only at his life, but at the legacies of what, what happened uh, in Wyoming in that terrible, at that terrible time. Uh, the other thing is that you know, the perspectives that come to us through the film certainly are, are from the vantage point of, of friends of Matt, but um, uh, Liam was also a Facing History student, and so he brought, as a, a filmmaker, along with Michelle, a, a sense of the kinds of questions that need to be asked in order for people to make meaning today uh, of something that happened some time ago and that is still very much on people's minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opportunity to think about you know, the, the link between <clears throat> who Matt Shepard was um, as a person rather than as a victim of a, of a crime uh, is a really important addition to the way people can think about you know, the legacies of that time. Sounds like something not to be missed. Absolutely so. Yeah, the theater, I understand, holds 500 people. That's about right. 
Great. And are you expecting to fill it? We certainly hope so. We know there will be a lot of community members. Uh, we know that there will be students from a number of high schools that um, may come along with teachers, either in small groups um, or even slightly larger groups. And we know that we will have the chance prior to the screening to meet with some of those students and in the aftermath of it to have an impact on the way their teachers might broker conversations about this history in their classrooms. Great. So tell us again where people can go to learn more about your organization, Facing History and Ourselves, as yeah, well our as website, to reserve their seat. Sorry, our website is facinghistory.org, and on that site um, they will see a tab called Events, and um, this event will be listed there. And we look forward to people registering and uh, coming to the event. Again, it's a free event, and um, we think it will be quite meaningful. Great. Jack Weinstein, thank you so much for joining us tonight on Outbeat Radio. Pleasure. Thanks so much for the call. There are more than 2,000 people living with HIV and AIDS in Sonoma County. 500 of them don't know they have it, so neither do their partners. If you've ever suspected you've been exposed to HIV and want to know whether you're carrying the virus that could lead to AIDS, there's a place you can be tested for free, confidentially, and anonymously with results in just 20 minutes. Call face-to-face at 544-1581 or visit f2f.org. We want you to know your status. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Outbeat News in Depth on KRCB Radio. We'll be back with the Outbeat News segment right after this music break. Here's the immortal Michael Jackson with Thriller.
close at hand Creatures crawl in search of blood To terrorize your neighborhood And whosoever shall be found Without the soul for getting down Must stand and face the hounds of hell And rot inside a corpse's shell This month, we interviewed the new leadership of PFLAG Napa Valley. Unfortunately, our live interview did not record and is not available for this on-demand version of the show. Instead, we offer you the full, unedited version of this month's Outbeat You segment, featuring our conversation with the Executive Director of Campus Pride, Shane Winmeyer. Earlier this month, we reported on Outbeat News about an incident that occurred at Mississippi State University. During a performance of The Laramie Project, the now-famous play about the 1998 murder of Matthew Shepard in Laramie, Wyoming, members of the Old Miss football team, who were assigned to watch the play for one of their classes, hurled gay slurs and other derogatory comments at the cast members and disrupted the play. The only openly gay actor who also played a gay character in the play said he heard the comments and took every one of them personally. The college's reaction was less than impressive and almost passive, but fortunately this problem isn't pervasive throughout higher education. And to give us an update on how colleges and universities are supporting LGBT students is our good friend and the executive director of Campus Pride, Shane Winmeyer. Hey Shane, welcome back to the show. Well, it's great to be here, Greg. And before we get into our discussion about the mishaps at Old Miss, tell us about the Campus Pride camp this year. Sure. Well, first of all, uh, you know, Campus Pride has been working hard, as always, uh, during the summers to prepare students to go back to their campus and create change. And one of the ways we do that we do that um, is through our leadership camp called Camp Pride. And so, um, you know, for five days, five nights, student leaders from across the country come to uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, where we actually host our Camp Pride. And uh, they go through five days and five nights of leadership training around social justice and uh, kind of basic leadership skills, how to be a leader, uh, you know, what policies, programs, and practices are important. And this year we actually sold out our camp. We had 80-some students. Uh, 80, in addition wow. To, yeah. So, I mean, we, we were quite um, uh, impressed that we were able to sell it out. I mean, it is in its eighth year. Um of camp, and so we're real excited about this this next summer. And um, right now, the students are back on their campuses, and they're implementing their action plans that they developed at Camp Pride. Fantastic! And these were kids from all over the country. 
Yeah, we had um, about 40 different states represented. Uh, we had uh, historically black colleges. Uh, we had four-year public uh, private institutions. We had uh, a few students coming from, um, you know, different rural colleges. Um, so we really tried to diversify, and we, we ended up giving about 25 to 30 percent uh, scholarships away to students. So it's not just uh, colleges that can afford to send students. We also had monies this year from Starbucks and Wells Fargo and several sponsors so we can afford to actually give money to colleges that um, really need to send students to the camp. Terrific. Who are some of the speakers that spoke at the uh, leadership camp? Sure. Well, you know, we had uh, Bish, uh, Reverend Jamie Washington mm. uh, to talk about social justice and kind of uh, being a change agent on your campus. And, and Jamie is a, a fabulous consultant and, and ed, you know, a leader in education. Uh, we had Mara Kiesling from the National Center for Trans Equality. Uh, we had uh, a team from Song, which is Southerners on New Ground, which is an amazing progressive group uh, that really focuses on Southern communities and creating change in rural areas. Uh, we had some great entertainers like Randy Driscoll, uh, who we both know, and right. uh, she's a wonderful, wonderful straight ally. Uh, we had Justin Utley, um, uh, an out gay man who is an ex-Mormon who talks about his faith and spirituality and uh, had the number one um, you know, hit with Stand for Something. Uh, it was, uh, you know, uh, it won several awards with the Out Music Awards. And, um, you, know, it, you know, it's just one of those times where we had some, you know, a really phenomenal uh, individuals, leaders. Um, we have a camp faculty that has, you know, some great people, you know, who are educators who work on college campuses. And then, of course, there's peer educators, too. So the whole camp is an amazing experience. And, you know, we're really proud that, you know, in our eighth year, we were able to sell out camp with over 80 students. And, you know, one of the things we incorporated two years ago uh, was our advisor boot camp, which is a professional academy. So we had about 30 uh advisors to LGBT student groups who also came. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And that's this is the only camp of its type in the nation, right? That is correct. Um, there's no other college uh, camp specifically for LGBT and ally student leaders. Uh, there have been a few um, high school uh, camps popping up in different communities. Um, but uh, some of those are really camps. And <laughs> one thing about Camp Pride is you're not sleeping under a tent. Uh, you have air conditioning, so I guess in some respect, the reason why we call it camp is because of the friendships that these students build that ultimately sure. last a lifetime. So Fantastic. it's not you would be able to come to camp, Greg. You wouldn't sweat. You wouldn't worry <laughs> about it. Yes, because my idea of camping definitely involves a hotel room with you know plush linens and air conditioning. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> So, right. so school's back in session now for another year, and I know Campus Pride's been busy with several new initiatives. Uh, start out by telling us about the Purple Backpack. Sure. So um, about a year ago, Campus Pride decided we would develop a resource guide that was a pocket-sized guide that students could pick up at different conferences. We could ship it to their campuses, uh, their campuses to give out uh, for Orientation Week or for National Coming Out Day or Trans Day of Remembrance. Um, so it's a small 48-page guide that actually has tips and tools on how to be a leader. Um, uh, some of those tips and tools include things like uh, you know, how to be an ally to a queer person of color, uh, you know, how to be a transgender advocate, what transgender uh, policies, programs, and practices you should be implementing on your campus. Uh, we actually have an action plan uh, to be a leader on your campus and how you should go about developing the action plan. There's a small um, 
little guide in there that allows you to check off boxes and figure out what you need to do on your campus to create change. Um, and then it's full of our programs and services that we provide students. Um, mm. You know, this year we actually have our Campus Pride map, which is a, an online directory of every student organization in the country. And right now we have about a thousand student organizations listed in the Campus Pride map, which is, you know, this online directory. So we put new stuff in there that we're providing students, as well as we put tips and tools in there to help them as leaders on their campus. Mm. And I understand this is a downloadable guide. Uh, tell us where people can go to learn more about that. Sure, just campuspride.org, and you just go to our shop, um, and you can actually either order it, and we'll ship them to your campus for free. Um, we just help ask for your help in helping pay for some of the postage. There's no charge uh, for the actual guide. Or if you just want to download it, you just click on the download button and you can print it off right there and, and use it uh, for your club meetings or uh, anything else you would like to use it for, um, maybe a workshop or so forth. Fantastic. And, the, and what about the map? Yeah, well, the map is an online directory. So in the guide, we talk about things like, you know, camp, uh, the map. We talk about our speakers bureau and how to get uh, different speakers to your campus uh, for, you know, Campus Pride Month in April or National Coming Out Day in October. Mm -hmm. um, and the map is actually listed in here. It's a new feature. Um, you can go to campuspride.org slash map, M-A-P, and it'll take you to this page with a... Uh, picture of the U.S. on it, and you can click on the different states and pull up the different uh, colleges. And when you do that, you're able to see which ones have safe zone programs, uh, which one have uh, have a student group, and even uh, LGBT center or an office. Um, there's about 300 colleges in the nation that have a center or an office, and we have all those in the Campus Pride map. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. And another exciting partnership I know that Campus Pride is now involved in that relates to all of this uh, is one with the Trevor Project and a company called Cognito. Tell us about that. Yeah, so, um, you know, when we talk about suicidality or we talk about, you know, anti-bullying uh, uh, work um, and how we work toward prevention, uh, we sometimes, you know, get stuck in the model of crisis response as opposed to uh, kind of being proactive and and I think one of the things that Campus Pride and, and Trevor Project and, and, and this uh, online learning company called Cognito is we, we wanted to get ahead of that and actually provide the awareness necessary on a college campus um, you know, to really uh, deal with prevention work um, and kind of go upstream against some of the anti, uh, some of the bullying that happens, some of the harassment that is happening on campuses. And so um, there's this online training tool that we developed um, and we just launched it. Uh, currently, you can do a free demo online um, at campuspride.org. You can go and you can find out or cognito.com. And, um, you know, this online demo shows you that there's a faculty uh, training module and there's a student training module. And it takes you through a, um, a simulation uh, with avatars and um, you actually get to put yourself in the situation of asking questions of a student who's transgender, um, how you can support them or how you potentially could say something that wouldn't be supportive. And so you get to really um, learn without putting yourself in a situation. So this is particularly effective for, you know, straight students who are afraid of maybe knowing what to say or, or when to say it or, or how to say things or for a faculty member who 
doesn't quite get why it's important to use a right gender pronoun mm -hmm. or uh, for a trans student. So um, it, it's a really effective training. It, it's phenomenal, um, and you know, it's something that we're just now getting going here in October with um, you know LGBT History Month. Right, and I've been through both pieces of the training, the student version and the staff training, and it really is good. It gives a lot of exposure to not only trans students, but also gay and lesbian students uh, in how to support them and, and to interact with them. As a faculty member, if a student came forward and was having trouble or wasn't performing well in your class, uh, the training really prepares you to support that student, I think, quite well. Well, I would agree, and I think that the, the training really isn't for LGBT people. It's really for straight people who uh, need to, um, for their jobs as faculty and staff, need to be aware and need to be understanding of the LGBT experience, mm -hmm. and for you know straight students to feel more comfortable being an ally or being at least an advocate for you know a friend who's gay or who's bisexual or understanding what bisexuality is about or transgender uh you know people what they're all about so you know it's one of those those buffer things that you know when i go to campuses and i do trainings i usually preach to the choir a lot unless it's a mandatory program well this online training i think is about preaching beyond the choir and actually meeting people where they're at on campus with this online training simulation uh possibly in their residence hall they can sit at their computer and take it, and it provides that kind of that safety for them to be able to explore. Well, I know what's really exciting is that here in California, the chancellor's office for the community college system bought this training program for every community college in the state. So all 108 campuses, including Santa Rosa JC and Napa Valley College here in the North Bay, have access to this training free of charge for all their faculty and students. And it's it's really a huge, huge step forward in providing some very effective awareness. Well, I, I know, and I think that's amazing that uh, the California Community College System did that. Um, you know, it's one of those things that all the colleges uh, in California and across the country should actually be doing is, you know, they have a responsibility to provide uh, you know, LGBT students a safe learning environment and if faculty and staff aren't trained on how to deal with uh, harassment uh, in the classroom or outside the classroom, that's a problem. And so, you know, I applaud California and the community college system in doing that. Yeah. Well, let's shift gears and talk about Old Miss and what happened at the University of Mississippi. And we reported or earlier in the month that during a production of the Laramie Project that was going on there, members of the college football team uh, had to attend as part of a class that they were involved in and heckled in a, in a really vicious way members of the cast and disrupted the whole production. How can stuff like that go on still this, today at a university? You know, it's, it's a shame and it's very disturbing uh, that this type of behavior is, is seen as permissible uh, or seen as... Um, you know, something that would be tolerated on any college campus, especially a place that, um, you know, is really meant to prepare students for the workforce and for, you know, successful lives. Um, you know, I, I don't don't want to cast it that, you know, this is a southern school, so that's the problem, because this does happen in different ways in New York City, outside New York, you know, in more progressive parts of the country as well. So um, it doesn't surprise me sadly um, that this happened. Um, it, it does um, I think bring up how we educate our students and how we create awareness. Um, you know 
15 years ago uh, in, you know, 1998 when Matthew um, passed away, um, you know, shortly before when he was discovered and taken to the hospital, you know, at Colorado State University uh, there in Fort Collins where he was in the hospital, you know, there was a fraternity and a sorority who had a, you know, a homecoming parade float uh, that same weekend. Um, and because Matthew, I, I think, was thought to be a scarecrow lying against a fence post, that was what some of the media had depicted you know, that fraternity and sorority, you know, wrote the word gay or fag on their scarecrow and and, mm. and that made national headlines back then. And and you know, it's fifteen years later and you would think that we would have made some progress. And you know, one of the things I learned back then and it's still true today is that unless we talk about these issues on our campuses, unless we have consistent ongoing education uh with all of our students, um, you know, whether it be student athletes or whether it be our fraternity and sorority communities or just with residence hall students, we need to talk about what it means to be LGBT and and make sure students have that awareness. Um, you know, because the students at at Colorado State 15 years ago, I actually went and I did an educational program about a month and a half after Matthew had passed on that campus. And one of the big questions I got from the other members of the fraternity and sorority community was, why did this happen? And it came down to silence. Um, when you don't talk about things, when you don't uh, you know, have out people who come out in your fraternities and sororities or within your athletic teams and they don't feel safe, then that creates a culture of silence. And mm -hmm. that's what the problem is today. And, and it's sad because the Laramie Project is all about educating and breaking down silence and, and showing how communities can come together and, and uh, be able to, to work toward common goals. Right. And it does seem like more college students are willing to share their sexual orientation or gender identity as evidenced by, you know, a 2012 study that was done with about 90,000 college students from around the nation. Give us your sense from your experience in the field. Is the environment overall at colleges and universities changing? Is it getting better for LGBT students? You know, I, I, I do think that there's um, about 600 to 700 colleges where it's getting better. Um, I would say Ole Miss is not one of those. Um, Ole Miss has not participated in any of the programs that Campus Pride has offered. They they haven't been consulted. They haven't reached out to us. They haven't participated in our Campus Pride Index. So keep in mind, there's 4,100 IHEs in the country, I believe. Uh, you know, only about 600 to 700 of them, you know, are are doing any type of work. And I'm being quite liberal in saying that. Um, so I do think there's progress being made. Um, but there's still a lot more to be done when it comes to uh, maybe southern, more rural colleges, uh, when it comes to two-year colleges, when it comes to our historically black colleges and universities. Um, I was just talking the other day with, with a, a student, and there's only three historically black colleges that even have, uh, you know, a, a dedicated support services for LGBT students. And, and these are colleges that have a long history of civil rights and, uh, you know, understanding what oppression is. So it, it is baffling. And Campus Pride is committed to working with colleges like Old Miss uh, to make sure that students have the awareness and the education that they need. Um, you know, it's quite simple. Um, you, you need to make sure that there are codes of conduct and that there is education and awareness. I'm sure those athletic team members, those football uh, guys who are in that, uh, you know, watching the play, I'm sure some of them know someone who's gay. And I'm, I'm sure that, 
you know, if we think about kind of groupthink and we think about the culture of masculinity, all it takes is someone spending some time to get them to be more actively aware of how their actions impact other people. Mm-hmm. Well, just reflecting on California, uh, you know, we mentioned the Cognito training that the chancellor's office bought for all the colleges, which is great. Uh, but there was a bill passed, AB 620, two years ago, actually two years ago this month, that simply asked colleges to do five very basic things in support of LGBT students. Things like appointing an LGBT advocate for students and staff, creating an inclusive policy, prohibiting bullying and intimidation, and including gender identity and gender expression in those identity groups protected by those policies. And then also related to trying to get an idea of the LGBT population, asking students on a voluntary basis to uh, self-identify their sexual orientation uh, and gender identity. And the reality of it is, even after two years, very few colleges in California have complied with this. Why do you think there's such fear in, in surveying students like you would any other piece of demographic information? You know, Campus Pride uh, started that discussion about eight to ten years ago, talking about you know, why is it today on college campuses we don't know of our out lesbian, gay, bi, trans students, which ones successfully graduate? Uh, why don't we look at retention and academic success of out LGBT students? Uh, you know, we started to ask that question a long time ago, and it wasn't until about maybe three or four years ago when we started to see, you know, a couple colleges come forward, and, and there's been probably at least three dozen colleges that have had discussions about this that have been pretty much... Uh, on the borderline of moving forward, um, we had hoped, and I think the verdict's still out, you know, Elmhurst College has done it, University of Iowa has done it, uh, the state community colleges in Washington uh, have have added an optional identity question. So we're starting to see some changes, and I, I know there's going to be more because Campus Pride has been doing consultations on this issue. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things that I think it's going to take a few more colleges before you start to see uh, kind of the the fear around asking a question around someone's LGBT identity uh, be able to dissipate. And and I'm not quite for sure what's, what's provoking that. I think there might be some institutionalized homophobia or transphobia. I think there might be some internal uh, kind of homophobia that's at place around people who are, you know, in their 40s and 50s and recall how challenging it was for them to come out and how they felt. But today's young person is much different than, you know, someone who was born and raised in the 70s or 80s. Um, you know, I, I think that young people today are already out. Uh, they've, they've had a, either a positive or, sadly, some many of them have had a negative experience in high school, and they want to pick the right college. And part of picking the right college is picking a college that comes out for LGBT students and you know treats them as any other demographic and part of that is making sure that they can you know succeed academically i mean it, it really is troubling that if you look at high school data um, and we look at at-risk uh, students, LGBT students are at risk at higher rates than non-LGBT students when it comes to depression and suicidality, when it comes to alcohol, drugs, um, you know, substance abuse. Um, you know, if we would know that about any other population, we would track their retention and academic success in college because they're coming to, co to colleges with these issues and these challenges. So I'm not quite for sure what the issue is other than if we find out that they're not graduating or that they're having a challenging uh, experience with our climate, we have to be responsible mm -hmm. for that. And right now, by not asking, 
we're able to not be responsible as college administrators to that LGBT student experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't understand it either. I think there are a lot of false fears out there, as you mentioned. I know one of the things I heard about California was there was some fear that if we collected this data and stored it, that somehow someone would hack into the system and have access to all this private information. You know, we're doing that, though. I mean, one of the things I think is going to change this is there's already uh, Fortune 500 companies that are asking about LGBT identity uh, of their employees. Uh, there's already, um, you know, obviously census data that is taking place to ask questions around identity. You know, there's there's now health data uh, that and health research that's asking questions. There's no research that shows a negative impact related to asking about LGBT identity for young people. Yeah. Good to know. Well, you mentioned the Campus Climate Index uh, a little bit ago, and I know this is also a time when students start to think about applying for colleges. Uh, We've had you on to talk about the index before. Give us an update on what the index is showing and how students can use it to find an LGBT safe place to go to school. Sure. So Campus Pride in 2010 uh, did research that showed that a quarter of students encounter harassment. And so one of the things that we try to do is inform our um, programs by that research. And so we put a lot of energy into the Campus Pride Index and, and really trying to get more colleges to participate and to come out for LGBT students. So you can actually go online to campuspride.org and, and click on the Campus Pride Index button and you can search uh, almost 400 different colleges that have come out as LGBT friendly. Um, one of the things that we're excited about is that of these 400 and some colleges, um, you know, 80% of them actually came back this year and improved in some way uh, related to LGBT friendliness Um, on the index. So they came back and they answered one of the questions that they had responded no to, uh, they responded yes. So that could have meant, you know, that they have now gender-neutral bathrooms. It could have meant that they added uh, gender identity to their non-discrimination statement. Uh, Maybe they started a safe zone program. But the index is really changing college campuses when it comes to LGBT-friendly uh, inclusiveness uh, within policy program and practice. And so, you know, a high school student or a prospective, um, you know, student of any kind can now go on the index and actually search colleges and find out which ones have come out as LGBT friendly. Uh, does it mean that these colleges have work to be done? Of course. Uh, every college, whether you have one star on the index or five stars, uh, you still have work to be done. And, and Campus Pride, hopefully within the next year, uh, we'll be raising the bar on all the colleges. Um, you know, the index has been around now for about seven years, and um, you know, a lot has changed. So, part of the index is that not only do they annually come back and update it, but we also raise the benchmark. Um, there's been a lot of challenges, um, as you know, um, for trans populations, and so we want to make sure that we have questions that that deal with those challenges. Great, and well, and I can I can tell you just from personal experience that. The standards that the Climate Index prescribes are effective in getting institutions motivated. Uh, at Napa Valley College, where I work, uh, we looked at some of the benchmarks and targeted three specific things that we could do, we knew we could do, even as a small college, to make life better for LGBT students. And there was a lot of pride, even up to the Board of Trustees level, on being able to go from one star to three out of five. 
Um, yeah, you know, Greg, I mean, that's, I appreciate you sharing that because more and more colleges are actually using the Campus Pride Index in their strategic planning and in their, you know, you know, every year coming back and assessing as part of their student life uh, kind of initiatives how to improve for LGBT students. So it's a, it's a great evaluation tool for campuses. Talk about some of the benchmarking that you're doing for college athletic programs. Sure. So um, we're currently in development of a Campus Pride Sports Index that will be um, very similar to the Campus Pride Index, um, but it will be in tandem with it. And it's specifically to looking, it's specifically to looking at athletic um, programs and uh, sports and rec programs on college campuses and how inclusive they are. Um, and so we're, we're, we're in development on that right now. But some of the things we actually did this year, um, as you know, we we did a top 10 list of LGBT athletic programs uh, two years ago. Um, we This year we launched our Voice in Action Award for student athletes, which basically um, is a national award that right now online at Campus Pride you can nominate uh, an outstanding uh, athlete who might be lesbian, gay, bisexual, or trans, or even a straight ally who's doing amazing work on their campus for kind of athletic programs around LGBT issues. So. Uh, we launched this national award program in an effort to show uh, and to you know give visibility uh, to give voice to you know LGBT you know young athletes who are doing amazing work. Um, you know we just published our our research, our national research, the only research of its kind that looks at college athletics uh, and college athletes who are LGBT. Um, you can you know download that and and buy it online at campuspride.org and and what it showed was that there is harassment, um, not a surprise, but there is harassment uh, within athletics, um, and there's certain you know teams and certain structures uh, related to um, harassment that are impactful. You know the fact that the Ole Miss happened within a football team isn't surprising because if you look at the research, there's not as much visibility of out. LGBT athletes in sports like football. Um, it tends to be sports like you know swimming and diving and tennis, and and so there is a challenge. And you know the research uh, actually shows us where we need to be spending more of our attention. So that's some of the things that Campus Pride has been doing with our athletic program. Uh, all of that is in partnership with Stand Up, uh, the Stand Up Foundation with Ben Cohen. And so you know there'll be more work being done on that. Um, this February, Campus Pride is hosting the Campus Pride Sports Summit, which will be at University of Richmond. And so there'll be more details about that coming out in the next week or two. Sounds like you're keeping quite busy. <laughs> Always. Well, we'll hope that the folks at Old Miss will look up Campus Pride and get them involved because they certainly have a significant problem on their campus. I, I'm sure the college president and their board couldn't be more ashamed of the headlines uh, from that college. At least we'll hope that that'll motivate them to do something. Well, most definitely. And, you know, every college, uh, what happened at Ole Miss uh, does happen uh, behind the scenes on their campus. So it's important that everyone realizes that, you know, you have to be aware of what's happening on your campus. Right. Well, Shane Winmeyer, Executive Director of Campus Pride, thanks again for stopping in and giving us an update and best wishes as you move forward. All right. Thank you, Greg. And if you'd like more information about Campus Pride, be sure to check out their website at campuspride.org. And that brings us to the end of our hour. My thanks to all of our guests tonight. Don't forget to RSVP for your seat to see Matt Shepard is a friend of mine on Tuesday, November 12th at the Kabuki Theater in San Francisco. Just go to our website at outbeatnews.com for the link. 
I'll be back on the fourth Sunday of November with the next edition of Outbeat News in Depth. Be sure to tune in next Sunday night for Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio. In the meantime, have a great week. Happy Halloween, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with me. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. You can listen to our shows on demand on iTunes and on our website at OutbeatNews.com. And be sure to follow us all week long on our Facebook page and Twitter feed for the latest LGBT news from here in the North Bay and beyond.